Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Netanyahu says no, Israel will fight on until complete and decisive victory, causing a mountain of problems for President Joe Biden and for Keir Starmer, the Labour leader here in the United Kingdom. The EU will place sanctions on Tucker Carlson for carrying out his job as a television interviewer. The same EU will not place sanctions on the genocidal, crazed, unhinged massacres still going on right at this minute in Gaza and indeed increasingly in the West Bank. The political situation hots up everywhere and this is the best place to follow it. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night because this is the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. This is the premiere of the Mother of All Talk Shows from Rochdale. We've broadcast from Beijing. We've broadcast from Dubai. We've broadcast from everywhere in the world. But this is the very first, but hopefully not the last, Mother of All Talk Shows coming from Rochdale, where... If you are sentient at all, you'll already know I'm on the campaign trail. Uh, the hopes of my opponents and indeed the hopes of the United States presidents, Joe Biden and his Democratic Party have been dashed on the rocks of Benjamin Netanyahu's obduracy just in the last hour or two. There will be no ceasefire in Gaza. He has vowed, Netanyahu, that the war will continue in until complete and decisive victory. His words, not mine. That complete and decisive victory looks far enough away, but more than 100,000 Palestinians are now dead, maimed, or missing under the rubble. It is a terrible price to pay to keep Benjamin Netanyahu out of prison. But it does pose everybody a very significant question. I saw a video just this evening of a couple of Labour canvassers going around my constituency here in the by-election in Rochdale, lying to the voters that Labour supports a ceasefire. When the gentleman asked them, how long have you been supporting a ceasefire? They answered, well, about three weeks ago. But this has been going on since October the 7th. And Labour has opposed a ceasefire until, in their words, about three weeks ago. But it isn't actually a ceasefire that they supported about three weeks ago. It is a pause, a humanitarian pause, 
to fatten up the Gazan children before they are again hunted down like turkeys in a turkey shoot, like fish being shot in a barrel. It's a humanitarian pause before the bombs and the rockets and the cannon fire and the naval gunfire from just off the coast begins again. A ceasefire, not a humanitarian pause, a ceasefire is a necessary but not sufficient condition. And it's time to make this clear. You are not a friend of the Palestinians. You are not an enemy of Netanyahu's Israel. If all you are calling for is a ceasefire, what we need is not a ceasefire, but an end to the occupation of Palestine. Both Gaza and the West Bank and East Jerusalem and the Golan Heights for that matter. An end to the siege, the withdrawal of all Israeli forces from Palestinian land, if necessary, their replacement by United Nations forces in those territories. After all, occupied territory is the responsibility of the United Nations. What's needed is a Palestinian state right now. Keir Starmer, just a few weeks ago, maybe about the same, about three weeks ago, maybe less, changed the Labour Party's policy, which had hitherto been for immediate recognition of a Palestinian state, its borders undefined, unto a new formulation that Labour will not recognise an independent Palestinian state without the agreement of Israel, something the canvassers omitted to mention to my constituent this afternoon here in Rochdale. Well, that's not good enough because Israel, as Netanyahu has made clear, will never recognize a Palestinian state, won't even actually allow for the series of Bantu stands that many in the international community have come to imagine represents a two-state solution. So if you give Israel the veto on the recognition of a Palestinian state, you might as well be honest and say that you are not recognizing such a state at all. The way I put it is this. A surgeon cannot operate on and amputate his own foot. Although a man had to amputate his own niece's leg without anesthetic on his kitchen table in Gaza just a few weeks ago. The surgeon cannot do that. He has to be operated on from without. And that is what is now necessary. If Netanyahu says no, no ceasefire. If Netanyahu says no, no Palestinian state, we have got to say then no recognition of Israel, no normalization of Israel, sanctions, boycott, divestment, and no more arms sales to Israel. That's what I stand for. It isn't what Labour stands for. And it sure as heck ain't what the Democrats or the Republicans in the United States of America stand for. I'll be quite honest. I'm for the liberation of the Palestinian people, not a cease in the fire of murdering them, a fire that has burned 
for 76 years and for the victory of the Palestinian people over their foreign occupiers and the collaborators in Western countries who've made it all possible. That marks me out as different from others, I'll grant you. And when I started out more than 50 years ago, seeing exactly that, unwaveringly that, I, that was a very minority sport. You could have filled this studio and not much more with all the supporters in Britain at that time of the PLO. Now you couldn't fit us all into Hyde Park. You couldn't fit us all into Hyde Park plus Mayfair, plus Westminster, plus Piccadilly. You cannot actually now count the number of Palestinian supporters who support justice and liberation for the Palestinian people in Britain. There are now too many of us. And many of them are here in Rochdale. And that will prove decisive when the by-election comes on the 29th of this month. Tucker Carlson did what broadcasters are kind of supposed to do, ask the other guy his side of the story so that his viewers could form, well, a more rounded view of the Russiagate, Russophobia, fanatic fear of Russia that has been fanned over recent years in Western countries. The worst thing about the controversy now swelling around Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin, which will air tomorrow evening, I understand. The worst thing about it is that Carlson is having to justify it in the first place. Isn't it the duty of all broadcasters, all journalists, to tell their readers and viewers both sides of every story and let their readers and viewers make up their mind who's telling the truth, who's telling the lies, and what we should do in response to that conclusion. Once upon a time, at least that's what was claimed of free speech journalism. We have free speech here, they used to say, in relation to the Soviet Union, in relation to China and other such uh, organizations, regimes, governments, and systems. We have freedom here, they do not. Well now, Tucker Carlson, the biggest broadcaster on the planet, the most significant broadcaster on the planet, with more viewers, more supporters, more admirers than any other broadcaster on the planet, went to Moscow to hear the other side of the story. And the whole of the West appears to have gone into meltdown about this once common or garden foray by a top broadcaster seeking to interview an important world figure to get their side of the story. The European Union today began discussions about what sanctions, sanctions, aren't they in love with sanctions? What sanctions they will place on Tucker Carlson for doing his job. They're even talking about a travel ban for Tucker. He'll be arrested if he arrives, if he's foolish enough to arrive 
in Germany. He'll be arrested if he's foolish enough to fight his way through the farmer's blockade and turn up on the Trocadero. He'll be arrested, a travel ban on Tucker Carlson, the same EU which refuses even to condemn, never mind, sanction Netanyahu's Israel. It is the world gone mad. It is the world turned upside down. You're going to sanction a broadcaster because he interviewed somebody, but you refuse to sanction a country which with your full support has committed genocide in 130 days of mass slaughter of people in a cage, most of them women and children. That's the world we are currently living in. It is truly, madly, deeply insane. But I predict to you that Tucker Carlson will melt the internet tomorrow evening. He'll break the internet. It'll be the most watched interview of all time. That's my prediction. It's called the Streisand effect. When you seek to ban something, it goes viral. And by seeking to criminalize Carlson, all they've done is attract more and more viewers to the upcoming interview. Tucker Carlson meets Vladimir Putin. I'm going to make a number up. I'm going to say 150 million people will watch that interview. See if I'm right. Now, the political situation in the United States goes from bad to worse for Joe Biden. He has now clearly, entirely lost his mind. Anyone who's watching, as I do, these almost daily videos of cringe-worthy insanity, dementia, unwellness of the man with his finger on the Western nuclear button persuade you that they cannot be serious, as John P. McEnroe used to say, they cannot be serious in running this man for four more years. You really ought to open a book on whether you'll make it through the next four hours. But that's what the Democrats apparently are planning to do. He can no longer show his face amongst the 50% of his own voters who believe that Israel is committing genocide. The 28% who are not sure whether Israel is committing genocide and who know that everything they're committing, whatever you call it, is facilitated, is the result of the collaboration of Joe Biden with Netanyahu, who he called a very bad guy just the other day, just before giving him another blank check, just before sending him another huge armory of bombs and missiles to rain down on Palestinian women and children. Biden's own voting base know all of this. Once upon a time, almost every Muslim in America would have voted for the Democrats. This time around, I've got to ask what kind of Muslim they could possibly be to vote for Genocide Joe 
who's up to his waist in the blood of other Muslims in Gaza, in the West Bank, and even, by the way, in the alleyways of the Christian churches of occupied East Jerusalem. Once upon a time, he would have waltzed into Michigan and come out with their whackingly important electoral college vote. Now he can't even show his face amongst the public in the state of Michigan, which has a huge Arab population, a huge Muslim population, and a huge number of non-Arab, non-Muslims who just hate genocide, who just hate looking at massacres all day on their telephone, on their computer screen, definitely not on their television screen. So he can't go to Michigan. He's lost Michigan. And for a Democrat to lose Michigan effectively means they've lost the White House. And that's what I want to highlight now. I made a joke about it on Sunday's show. Donald Trump is in serious danger of being terminated with extreme prejudice. They hoped that he would be out the game by now as a result of the lawfare that they launched against him on entirely spurious grounds after the so-called January 6th insurrection, which counts as a normal Saturday night in Sochi Hall Street in Glasgow in my former constituency. If you think that's a resurrection, you come walk with me on the wild side. It wasn't an insurrection, but they tried to portray it as such. And therefore, the lawfare they launched has now failed. They're not going to get him in jail before November. It kind of leaves only one option. And you all know what option that is. So if I was uh, Donald Trump, fool that he is, I'd give him this advice. Get some bodyguards. Russian bodyguards are reputedly the best. Stay out of open-top limousine car cavalcades and make sure that you have a successor in mind. I've only time to deal with one other issue, and it pains me. I was the member of parliament for a Royal Navy warship building yard uh, at Yarrows on the Clyde for decades. I used to regularly spend time at the door of the Ministry of Defense trying to secure naval orders for Yarrows on the principle that if we are building warships and we are an island after all, we do have to defend ourselves after all, then it's best that they're built on the Clyde in my constituency. And I was very, very successful. I secured Type 23 frigate after frigate after frigate, on one occasion winning the order for every single boat in the batch. I was very good at that job, getting things for my constituents. And so it's with some sadness I report that the Royal Navy currently is like a light operata by Gilbert and Sullivan. The pirates of Penzance have nothing on the performance of the Royal Navy. The Queen Elizabeth II 
our flagship aircraft carrier, had to pull out of the NATO war games because its propeller gave out again. Two frigates of the Royal Navy crashed into each other in the Solent on their way to the Red Sea where they were to take part in that traditional British sport of bombarding the natives of Yemen like some punitive expedition sent out by Lord Palmerston at the height of the empire in the late 19th century. So they were out, the aircraft carriers out. What happened to the jewel in our Red Sea crown today? HMS Diamond turned out to be costume jewelry. HMS Diamond has been hit so often by the tribesmen in the hills of Yemen, the Houthi that they tried to describe to us as some kind of primitive savages, have hit HMS Diamond so many times it has now had to retire from the theater of operations and limp homewards to think again. As a metaphor for the British Empire's shrunken, shriveled weakness, it's pretty hard to beat. Rule Britannia. Britannia rules the waves. Nowadays, Britannia prefers to wave the rules, even the rules of the rules-based order, which is Tony Blair and Bill Clinton's alternative to that grand old-fashioned idea of international law. We've got some top commentary coming up from two top guests. So stay tuned. It's the mother of all talk shows. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, we like to introduce new guests to the panoply of expertise that is here on the Mother of All Talk Shows, particularly young people, particularly women, particularly activists. So Hala Hanina, the prodigious Palestinian activist, with a growing support base in the country of mine, the United Kingdom. Welcome 
to the show, Hala Hanina. Uh, Hala, tell us, uh, uh, first of all, what it has been like being a Palestinian activist in this period for a person of your ethnicity and a woman at that. Thank you so much for having me. Um, hello, everyone. Um, as for your question, it's been so hard. I've been following uh, Western media when I was in Gaza. We had endured and witnessed like six aggressions before this genocidal campaign over Gaza. And in each of them, I wasn't like, I wouldn't say I was satisfied, but I wasn't happy with the content of media and politicians that we usually uh, were able to, to see while we were in Gaza. However, this is my first time to be here and the, uh, at the UK when a genocidal campaign launched over my people. Uh, where Israel killed more than 35,000 Palestinians, 13,000 of them are children. And while I'm witnessing all of that horror happening, I was able also to witness uh, the politician position uh, with actually um, manipulating the truth and calling Israeli occupation, which is illegal up to this country. This country regards Israel um, as occupying power and Palestine as uh, occupied territories. Uh, however, at the same time, they claim that Israel have the right of self-defense over occupied civilians uh, and Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, at the same time, I was able to see the, um, the, the silencing of mass media. So I've been like for four months, more than four months now, uh, trying to vocal, be, being vocal and activist for my people in Palestine and Gaza to show the atrocities that Israeli occupation is committing. However, I was usually silenced by the mass media and they, uh, they, they are choosing, I would say, intentionally to prevent Palestinian voices from being heard by the British people because if we were heard equally, then no one would not stand with us. Everyone would stand with justice and everyone would stand with Palestinians in this uh, occasion and specifically at the genocidal campaign. Um, so I can say that well, you, this uh, is... You yeah, you have, you have a higher opinion of us uh, than I do. Uh, not quite everyone, uh, I suspect. But what has been the most offensive part of the mass media's presentation of events to you as a young Palestinian woman? Um, I would say the dehumanization. And I would give two examples. There was an occasion when... Um, when a Palestinian girl, a four-year-old Palestinian girl, was killed by the Israeli occupation forces, and the commenter, the person who was saying that, I will not mention the name of the news uh, or the media agency, and they said that a four-year-old woman was killed or died. Sorry, a four-year-old, a four-year-old Palestinian woman. They called her. They called her. They called her a young lady. Young lady, yes, a four-year-old child. Yes, and at the same time, they, they talked about Israeli soldiers, like female soldiers, who are all over the age of 18 so to be allowed to be a soldier. They called them teenagers. So this type of dehumanization and unchilding of us and unhumanizing of Palestinians was, I would say, the worst bit of it. However, so many other incidents was made intentionally by the media were also very, very painful, like using um, uh, wrong language, like attacking my friends. I I have a friend, his name is Ahmed Al-Nawuq. He's been on multiple uh, media um, because he's a journalist. 
and he was interviewed after he had his family 21 pairs but 21 person of his family all of his immediate family are killed his uh, parent his um, siblings uh, in-laws and also 14 nieces and nephews and in the media he was actually attacked rather than being you know you have to be compassionate you have to be uh, ethical with a person living a genocide and every single one he knows and loves and care about is actually killed, but they have been attacking him and asking him insulting question as, um, were you close to them? And this is like, it was insane. Well, uh, yeah, I, we, we had, uh, Mr. Alanouk was a guest on this uh, show and the yeah. journalists you referred to were on Sky News who were demanding that he condemn Hamas after 21 members of his family had been wiped out the day before or the day before that, when he was still grieving. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable and very rude. They don't respect us as humans. They silence us. And when they choose to allow us any kind of platform, they will take us on the platform just to humiliate us and dehumanize us. And this is not acceptable at all. Like living the pain of um, of having our people killed every single second, we're just sitting here. But at the same time where we are sitting here, our people in Gaza who have been evicted for at least each of them five times from the north to the Gaza city, from Gaza city to the Wusta or Middle Area and then to the south are now being killed, massacred in a huge numbers and intentionally executed by the Israeli occupation forces. And no one is actually giving them the, the care they deserve to have. Now tell me this, uh, Netanyahu has uh, said uh, that there will be no ceasefire, uh, that the war will continue at its present intensity, which as we know uh, is of unparalleled ferocity, uh, where a heavily armed superpower massacres huge numbers of people, most of them women and children, in town after town, city after city. And the name of Rafa, I fear, will soon become uh, as unforgettable as some of the worst atrocities in modern history have become uh, because one and a half million Palestinians are now in Rafa, which is a tiny town. They're there under sheeting, under corrugated iron, the lucky ones under tents, the unluckiest under the stars, in the cold, in the wind, in the rain, in the sea of infectious water uh, that is flowing sewer water and the rest. Rafa is hell on earth now, but Israel is planning to assault it, a full-scale assault. If that happens, it's going to be violence of unprecedented dimensions, even in the context of this genocide over the last four months, isn't it? Yeah, um, like just mainly to mention, David Cameron, when he was a prime minister, he have called Gaza years ago, 10 years ago, uh, the largest open air camp or a prison camp in the world. And now Israel have made it, like they made it the prison camp and now they are making Gaza a death camp. Gaza wasn't like that. Gaza, although it has been attacked by the Israeli occupation for multiple aggressions, it has been under siege and 
very strict blockade for, for years. However, we've never had any homeless. The first time I, I saw homeless in my life was when I came to the UK. We don't have homeless people because whoever's house is like evicted or demolished by the Israeli occupation, we usually welcome them and put them in our houses or rent them a flat to stay in. So this this is unprecedented situation even for us, suffering for more than 75 years of occupation and colonization by the Israeli occupation. Israel have at the beginning said that the south would be safe and people have to cross at a safe corridors to go to the south from the north. And people who were able to do that, they have done that. However, Israel have actually bombarded them in the south and bombarded them in the north and at the safety corridor. And the worst thing and imagining what's happening to Palestinians now in Gaza or, uh, is that the people who are massacred now or the people who have been taken hostages and um, uh, stripped naked and violated and, and you know, captured in photos on social media by the Israeli legal army are actually the same people who are now at the tent finding no food and finding no shelter. And at the same time, they are the same people who had their siblings, parents killed and themselves injured. And they are the same people that Israel is going to launch on them another invasion campaign on Rafah in the south and kill many of them and again take many of them as hostages to torture them. So the amount of tragedy that the people in Gaza and all Palestine are now suffering from the Israeli occupation is just the continuation of the of the ongoing genocidal campaign by the Israelis to colonize more of the land, to evict more of the Palestinians and annex uh, our land more and more. And that would continue, not because we Palestinians are allowing it. No, we have tried our best to stop the occupation, to stop the murder, but it would continue because Israel is impugned by all of the world. The world, when saw Israel for the first time taken to the ICJ for, for ruling against them in a genocide, which is something huge, have never happened before in the history to Israel. Uh, but the world, again, stood with them. And on the day where Israel was asked to seize all of the genocidal acts on the Palestinians, all the UK, USA, and many European countries and Japan have stood again with Israel and said that they will seize their aid to the UNORWA, which is the only institutions now providing aid and help for the Palestinians. So the world and Israel at, at the same time, they're working hand in hand to commit something called bomb now, die later on the Palestinians. And at the same time, to kill the Palestinians. At the first hand, Israel is actually carpet bombarding all Palestinians, massacring them in hundreds um, of people are killing together. And Israel at the second hand is strategically bombarding every place in Gaza Strip. More than 80% of all of our beloved and uh, thriving infrastructure is now totally damaged. So Israel have made it in a context of bomb now, die later by spreading infectious diseases, where more than around a million now are suffering from that and lack of infrastructure of health and food and intentional starvation. So Israel and the international community, hand in hand, is killing the occupied Palestinians in front of the old world in the worst revised genocide I and everyone have ever witnessed. And hopefully no one ever 
would have to witness something like that again. Hala, it's uh, heartbreaking, uh, particularly hearing it coming from you, a brave young Palestinian woman in the UK, doing your best to bring the truth before the people. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Uncaptured news is what our next guest does. He is the reporter, journalist, broadcaster and filmmaker, the one and only Dan Cohen. Dan, welcome back to the Mother of All Talk Shows. You were a big hit with our viewers uh, last time you were on. Uh, tell us how you're feeling this two months or so now on since we last saw you. Netanyahu has kind of shot their fox today, hasn't he? What's the point of blinking, shuttling? What's the point of Joe Biden stumbling? What's the point of Western liberals agonizing if Netanyahu's told them absolutely outright there ain't going to be no ceasefire. How do you feel about it? Well, it's the phoniest good cop, bad cop routine I think I've I've ever seen between the Biden administration uh, playing the good cop and pretending that something might be in the works, even though Biden, as we saw yesterday, couldn't even wasn't even sure of what's going on and could barely stutter a complete sentence out. Um when he, you know, when he wasn't thinking he was he was meeting with a, a dead French president. Um, but, you know, of course, Netanyahu is playing the bad cop as as he always does. Uh, so, you know, liberals can say, well, well, we don't we support Israel, but we don't like Netanyahu as if he is not the quintessential prime minister of Israel. He's the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history. So he is he represents everything about Israel. Um, but I mean, this has been the whole, all the talk about a captive exchange um, has been farcical all along, basically since the only temporary, they, what did they call it, a pause in late November in order to exchange some of the captives. Everything since then has been farcical. And even before that, because as I showed in um, an investigation in Uncaptured, you can read if you go to uncaptured.media. Um, called Netanyahu and his Kahanist allies wage side war against families of the captives, something like that. Netanyahu has been doing exactly that. He has been doing everything possible to deceive, uh, to to trick um, the families, the vast majority of the families of captives who want some kind of negotiation, whether that's a full ceasefire and every an all for all exchange which is what Hamas has demanded all along or some kind of negotiation and so what he's done is take a tiny handful of the most fanatical elements of the families of captives and promote them as if they're the majority just today a guy named Svika Moore who's a fanatical uh whack job settler who lives in Kiryat Arba in the West Bank he was among um, uh, families of captives here in Washington, D.C., meeting with several powerful senators and and uh, members of the House of Representatives saying, you know, talking about the plight of their families in Gaza. Meanwhile, this is a guy who partnered with Netanyahu and explicitly said that he wants to sacrifice his son 
in order to commit genocide in Gaza. These are Netanyahu's allies. So this is this is what's really going on. Everything else is just a dog and pony show. Just before we go on further down that track, explain what happened when Joe Biden uh, communed with the dead president, Francois Mitterrand, who he thought was president of Germany. But whether of Germany or France, he thought he spoke to him very recently, since October. Tell the viewers about that. Yeah, I don't know where he, where he was speaking, what venue exactly, but it was just another classic Biden moment where he's just mumbling unintelligibly and, and clearly is not in his right mind because we have, you know, in the White House is a very severe case of elder abuse. Um, but that's, you know, what our political system is. That's what it's produced in the, the, the mighty Democratic Party. So Joe Biden is clearly suffering from dementia um, and is planning to run for a second term. But it's just another statement, another obvious indication, indisputable, that he's not all there. He is not the Joe Biden of even during the Obama era. He is gone. Gone, indeed. Uh, now, uh, the tanks and, and uh, heavy guns are now massed around Rafa. Now, I know Rafa very well, as you do yourself, uh, having been there many times, passed through the gates there many times. Unimaginably, there's one and a half million people there now because there's actually nowhere else to be. They're living in unbelievable squalor, and Israel is about to attack, attack, attack. What's going to happen there? I mean, it's it's just the most horrific crime one after the other. I mean, we've seen this. We're going on four months now, and all of these these Palestinians in, in Gaza who were told, go south because that's where it's safe. And if you don't, they said, if you don't go south, then you will be considered uh, a member of Hamas, and therefore you're not a civilian. And many people were unable to go or refused to leave their homes, and they were bombed in then, in then, inside their homes in the north. However, there were many, of course, who did uh, flee south, who were shot at um, and bombed, who were interrogated, and there were even summary executions at Israeli checkpoints uh, heading south through Gaza, through Khan Yunis, uh, all the way to Rafah. And now the Israelis, unable to combat the resistance and their um, spiderweb network of tunnels that stretch hundreds of kilometers, several hundred kilometers throughout the Gaza Strip, and the Israelis are just unable to really do anything, they're punishing the civilians. So now that they've uh, obliterated Gaza, they've obliterated the north, um, they have uh, waged a horrific war on Khan Yunus and kind of the center and, the, and, the, and heading towards the south, and they've had no real military success there, only punish civilians. And now they are saying that they're going to attack Rafa, which is where they told everyone to go. So this is likely if this goes on, which it appears it will be, they're completely surrounded. Then this will be even more horrific carnage that, uh, you know, Joe Biden and, and the State Department um, will will say, you know, will, will shrug their shoulders about and say, oh, we, we've told Israel to be better about slaughtering civilians. We've communicated to them. But. Israel's operating with total impunity. Uh, this is just a complete slaughter in every sense of the word. And as we know from 
the ICJ. Uh, this is officially genocide, and Israel has been ordered to not carry out any acts of genocide and has carried out many of those since uh, since we heard from the ICJ. So that's sadly what we have in store is more genocide. This is, you know, the the, the international uh, rules based order that Tony Blinken likes to talk about. It is genocidal. Now, uh, an unusual thing happened in the Congress, didn't it, this week? Uh, the Republican majority in the House tried to send, because, of course, Americans are awash uh, with money. They have no problems at home. They've got lots of spare. So they tried to send $17 billion uh, to Israel. That's another $17 billion to Israel. And it failed. It was defeated on the floor of the House. What can you tell us about that? Well, there's a huge fight in the Congress about that because Republicans want more and more so-called border security. Even this concept is is basically farcical. I mean, we do have huge amounts of people coming over our border, but it's not for lack of security. It's because we have basically obliterated entire countries in Latin America and elsewhere uh, and taken their wealth and sanctioned them. Uh, basically forcing them to flee their countries. So the for the Republicans passing this money, the, uh, these billions and billions of dollars to go to Ukraine and to Israel is contingent upon further militarization of the southern border as if lining the, the, the border with military um, and more Department of Homeland Security, which since 9-11 has become the largest uh, uh, the, the largest uh, part of the U.S. government. Um, that's that's basically what it comes down to. So um, there has to be more and more militarization of the U.S. border in order for Republicans to fully agree to what Democrats want to do uh, to send to send to Israel another, uh, what, 13 billion dollars. So this I mean, you can just see the the divide is not is not over anything of of principle of anything that's going to help people it's not you know i'm i'm about to get on a train at union station in uh you know the the main train station in washington dc if you go down there all that's out front are homeless people living in tents that's what this beautiful union station this stately building is surrounded by homeless people all over the streets in the capitol here in washington dc so none of the parties neither of the parties neither republicans nor democrats want to address the actual issues facing Americans, inflation, the economy, um, uh, hunger, these kinds of things. They just want to send more money to their you know, different piggy banks to enrich, uh, whether it's the military industrial complex overseas or the Israel lobby um, or, or line the pockets of military, military contractors that are, that are going to um, you know, have a bonanza on the border. Well, it's only a few months to go until you get to change all that. You can choose bonkers Biden. You can choose Zion Don Trump, uh, or you can go for crazy Kennedy. Uh, which do you think the people are going to go for at this stage? Well, there's no question that Donald Trump is the most popular politician in America. Um, clearly, Nobody believes in Joe Biden, not even the people around him. That's just a big they're playing charades as as if he, he's like a real president when obviously he has no power. RFK, uh, you know, Bobby Kennedy is 
sort of playing the pseudo anti-establishment um, role, except he's said that he would do basically the exact same thing that Biden is doing with Israel. He's he's a he's a total Zionist. Um, he's in the Israel lobby's pocket. We see him. I mean, you know, my question for for Bobby Kennedy is he says he would free Assange. What is he doing making public appearances with Miriam Adelson, the husband of the late Sheldon Adelson, whose fortune, who, who was the front man basically for the CIA, as you were discussing, spying on Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy? That undermines everything that Bobby Kennedy claims to represent and let alone his support for genocide in Gaza. So we have him playing this kind of uh, pseudo anti-establishment role. And then, of course, we have Donald Trump, who I mean, we know he you know, he says he would uh, this this war in Gaza wouldn't have happened. He would end the Ukraine war. Meanwhile, he does appearances with the most rabid neocons in all of Congress with Lindsey Graham you know, who's, who wants to bomb Iran, who wants to kill all Palestinians, who wants to fight, who wants Ukraine to fight until it's its last man. So Donald Trump is basically fake, too. He's, you know, it's our entire political system is fake. And, you know, it, it's pretty obvious that nothing good is going to come from it, no matter who you vote for. Well, if it's any consolation, I know it won't be. Ours is just as fake over on this side of the Atlantic. Dan Cohen, as always, a pleasure, an honour to have you on the mother of all talk shows. Is Tucker Carlson a traitor if he interviews Putin? That's the big question this evening. More than 27,000 of you have already voted. Let's get it to 30,000, shall we, before the poll closes in about 25 minutes from now. Merck Caduceus says one can criticize Zionism for its evil without being anti-Semitic. To equate the two to is a stupid thing to do. As a Jew, I condemn Zionism for its prejudice, genocide, and evil. God bless all Palestinians. Thanks, Merck. And Damas says there are three types of liars. One, the common liar. Two, the mythomaniac liar. And then three, there is Israel. And Morn's lad says Al Jazeera reporting on Gaza massacres is gruesome watching. I just can't stomach it anymore, especially when it's little kids dead or screaming when wounded or mutilated. You and me both, lad. Uh, a quick break. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Elliot is in Florida on ICJ. Go ahead, Elliot. Uh, yes, George, thank you, and uh, best of luck. I'm sure you're going to take them by storm there in Parliament. Um, thank you. Thank yeah, you. did you sure. know, I didn't know if you knew that the, the, the new president of the ICJ that was just elected, uh, Nara, uh, I think uh, Narap uh, Salam, uh, is Lebanese, and uh, the He's media... From, uh, from Lebanon, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. A career diplomat and jurist, and apparently, uh, according to the media, a, a frequent critic of Israel. I, I'm wondering what you think that, um, whether that's, uh, I know he comes from the elite, 
uh, of the of the country. But uh, is this a good sign? Or, or I mean, he's going to be overseeing the the the, the case for the next three years, uh, however long it takes. Is this good? Do you think? And uh, that's a good presume, sign? Yeah. Well, that, yeah, Elliot. That's probably why they gave this Ugandan friend of Israel the vice presidency because the new president is the Lebanese judge. Uh, and uh, they've got a dilemma now, don't they? They gave Israel one month to cease and desist those practices which they believed provisionally to be genocidal practices and to report back within that month on what steps they had taken to remedy the genocidal acts. Since when Israel has stepped up the genocidal acts, has increased the savagery of those genocidal acts and may be preparing the mother of all genocidal acts in Rafa in the next hours or days. So what's the ICJ going to do about it? If it can or will not do anything, then what's the use of the ICJ? is the question that will, I think, uh, resound uh, across the world. Um, I don't know the judge in question. You say he's from the elite. I'm perfectly sure that that's true. But then I think all judges are from the elite, certainly any that I've ever come across. I'm not one of those uh, who think that that means automatically uh, that they are a corrupt or... or uh, ill-suited to the uh, presiding over of justice. I myself, admittedly in civil uh, libel cases, um, frequently been impressed by judges. And I'd go farther and say, judges are the least corrupted institution in my country. I don't know about yours. That doesn't mean they aren't corrupted. And it certainly means that the other institutions are much more corrupted than they are. I must say the British judiciary has let us down to date on the Julian Assange case. I'm actually surprised the way in which they have done so. I retain some hope, more than most actually, that justice will be done on the 20th and 21st of this month on the Julian Assange case, but I'll be outside in the Strand uh, to try and do my best to make sure of it. Thanks for the call, Elliot, in Florida. David Proctor says, Tucker Carlson is now included in Ukraine's kill list in response to interviewing Russian President Vladimir Putin. Well, Ukraine's kill list and the European Union's no-fly list, all for doing a television interview. Kestrel says, what a chance for Rochdale to have the opportunity as Gigi as candidate with the whole world watching. A moment in time. Please don't let it slip through your fingers, Rochdale. You won't ever get that chance again. Thank you kindly for that. Uh, comments on the poll. Uh, Trevelyan Gale says, Tucker Carson is the greatest white man on the planet at this moment. Just be careful you don't end up like Mr. Assange, or even worse, have the same fate 
as the late great Gonzalo Lira, God rest his soul. Keith Stone says, you should have seen the look on the White House press secretary's face when asked about Tucker. I thought she was going to have a seizure foaming at the mouth. Mark Beatty says, Tucker Carlson interviewing Imran Khan would be interesting too. Well, let's hope Imran is free to be interviewed and very, very soon. What might well be the last call? I don't know. It's Deborah in Shropshire in England on Palestine. It's, of course, the Global University of the Airwaves. Deborah, most welcome. What would you like to say? Hi, George, and all the best with Rochdale, mm. and I'm sure you're going to Thank wing you. it. But what Thank I'd you. like to say is, well, uh, I'm... Yeah. Sorry, you go. Go ahead, sir. go ahead. What I'd I like was just to going say, to say the bookies, the, 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 the bookies had me at 16 to 1 on Friday and 2 to 1 on Tuesday. And for those who follow betting, I don't myself, they'll know that that means the bookies think I've got a very good chance of winning. Deborah, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Um, dear man, I admire your tenacity for the truth so much. And what I'd like to say um, on behalf of the people that I know that what is happening with the Tucker Carlson thing is, how can we have the truth if all the brave men shut themselves in the broom cupboard? That's absolutely correct. Uh, you know that old saying, I'm going back in the wardrobe, uh, all the men outside are empty raincoats. And I'm afraid that's the case. Uh, all the men outside are empty raincoats. All the men of power, all the men of influence, most of the men of wealth are empty raincoats. And the uh, truth is that courage is now at a premium. Speaking truth in the... Uh, times that we live in is a revolutionary act. Who knew? I mean, someone called me today, Deborah, the only anti-genocide candidate in the election. Imagine that, to be the only anti-genocide candidate in an election in Britain. Who'd have thunk it? George, you are not alone. We are many behind you, no. and we are all journalists today. No. We were all journalists outside the wardrobe, all behind you, sir. And we're all standing on the backs of giants. And we will succeed. And so will you, my dear man. God bless you. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate that very much indeed from Shropshire. I'm the political son of the late and great Tony Benn, the greatest prime minister Britain never had. I've been telling stories about him to people who are interested in my long relationship with Tony Benn, which began in 1973 and ended uh, upon his demise. And uh, Gayatri and I attended his uh, funeral and saw him carried out uh, from the church. If I recall, his coffin uh, draped in a Palestinian flag. Mr. Ben was a great supporter of the Palestinian cause. There he is with my grandson, who's now 
working on the show. Mr. Ben held in his arms all of my children, uh, except my daughter, his mother, uh, and, and no, she, he did. He held my daughter, whose son that is, in his arms. He held my daughter, her children, my subsequent children. This was the greatest prime minister we never had. I was telling a story today of the time in the early 1980s when Tony Benn was routinely described in the national media as the most hated man in Britain. That was his sobriquet, the most hated man in Britain. I had been speaking alongside him at a massive rally in St. George's Hall in Liverpool. We stayed in Liverpool overnight. We set off for the next uh, stop on the tour in a, a motorway services station. This was in the early 80s before the era of selfies and telephones. When we came in, Tony had his tea and toast. He drank nothing else. He ate nothing else most of the time. And the chefs began to come out from the kitchen wearing their tall chef's hats in order to come and get an autograph from Mr. Ben. Then the other staff, then the other customers in the cafeteria, then the people buying petrol at the petrol station outside began to leave their cars, their doors open. Everybody flooded in to the motorway service station. And the most hated man in Britain got up on a chair and made a speech to the people, cheering to the rafters. The most hated man in Britain. Just think about that. I loved him dearly. We miss him profoundly. It's my honor uh, to attempt in my way. He's a far better educated man than me. I left school at 16, went to work on the factory floor in Michelin. Mr. Ben was one of the most educated men in the country. So I cannot match him. But it has fallen to me to try and carry his approach to politics, his belief in common sense socialism, and to take it everywhere I can in the country and the world. I'm here in Rochdale, and I thank the uh, people who made that possible, who will be credited at the end of the show. And I thank the people of Rochdale for the warmest of Rochdalean welcomes that I have been receiving here. I hope to be broadcasting from here for some considerable time to come. Here on the mother of all talk shows, every Wednesday and every Sunday, both times at 7 p.m. UK time. So it's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back on Sunday at the same time, here in the same place in glorious Rochdale, where our rising is underway and where pioneers are in abundance. <laughs>